Welcome to Chroma Diversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity. In the first part of season two, you heard research about early age social and emotional development of children with common genetic variations that can be linked to higher rates of neurodivergence, such as dyslexia, ADHD, and autism. The second part features the lived experience of some remarkable individuals from different places around the world who happen to have a particular genetic variation in their DNA. They've agreed to share their eye-opening personal stories with you of what it's actually like to grow up with chromodiversity, some for the very first time. Hi, I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. In this episode, you'll hear the first part of a conversation with Rick Clark from Edinburgh in Scotland. Rick studied theology at the University of St. Andrews and holds an advanced diploma in accounting and business. He's a successful data modeler at one of the UK's leading home builders and has a passion for telling stories with images, sound, and text as a video producer at his own company, Dram Guid Productions. You're a former rugby player uh, and you still compete in track, road, and cross-country races. What was your last race, Rick? Uh, well, just before I got COVID in July, I won the uh, 800 metres at the Scottish Masters Championships for the age group category 45 to 49. Wow, congratulations. You're a neurodiversity advocate and founding member of the Octopus Movement, as well as Scotland ambassador for MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation. You also happen to have an extra 47th Y chromosome a non-hereditary genetic variation that occurs in about one in a thousand males. Rick, how old were you when you found out you have an extra Y chromosome? And how exactly did you find out? Sure. So um, I was actually, I was 39 at the time. Um, My wife and I had been trying to have a baby. And I guess we were going through kind of multiple tests and stuff like that. And, uh, And they suddenly cropped up um or that popped up that i had this extra y chromosome um i mean the way that it was kind of brought you know fed to me or we were told about it we had we were we were kind of invited along to a meeting and it was explained to us i mean my wife at the same time was kind of told that she didn't have a lot of eggs being produced um uh because in fact we we, di- we didn't actually end up having our own child although we adopted a boy uh, at a yep. later date um and uh they just said you know kind of by the by <laughs> you have an extra y chromosome <laughs> um but it wasn't it, we weren't given a whole lot of information uh, any more than that at the time How did it make you feel when you found out? Initially, uh, we weren't very sure what to make of it. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you try and do your own research uh, as much as you can. And I mean, I'm a, certainly a, 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 an avid Googler, so to speak. And I, I often find that with looking things up on the internet that you've really got to, you've got to have a few stabs at it, try a few different, you know, um, searches because you never get the, the complete story. Uh, the, um, I mean, certainly one of the first things that I had discovered was that a lot of 
boys growing up with 47XYY might have um, a couple of learning difficulties. And for me, this was a sudden kind of um, piece of the jigsaw that I've been kind of, I had been looking for for a while. Um, when I had been diagnosed with ADHD as a 36 year old, although I had tried previously to get that diagnosis when I was 28, um, but for many years in the UK, you couldn't get that diagnosis as an adult. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a big piece of the puzzle because apparently no one else in my family seemed to suffer from any other um, alleged um, impairments or, or, or neuro differences, shall we say, rather than actual impairments. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, you know, when you go, if, if you don't mind me talking about the research part side of things or my own research, I mean, some of the stuff that you initially initially found out was not necessarily terribly helpful. Um, and I've discovered that in certain countries, I might have been aborted as a as a fetus. Um, I um, also discovered that um, uh, it, the first test that was done on on a kind of population where they were looking at the uh, certain data for people with um, uh, my uh, my chromosome diversity or microdiversity mm -hmm. was that. Um, they had some. They made some link to uh, violent crime, violent offenders, even serial killers, um, and, um, who have forty-seven um, X Y Y, and so uh, they wrongly uh, made this presumption that that, um, that uh, that's what it was like, some kind of serial killer gene or something that was that, that was uh, that had suddenly been found, and and. Um, the reason why this was wrong is because of the fact that first of all the the data that they were actually using was a prison population so um so it wasn't it wasn't a, a broad enough cross-section of society and has been subsequently debunked several yes. times over but... you you mentioned um neurodiversity and um some some recent research also seems to show that having an extra y does create somewhat higher likelihood of having traits that are associated to ADHD, as well as dyslexia or dyspraxia. So neuro, that's not a myth there. There seems to be um, neurodivergence does seem to have a genetic element here, not yeah. in all people. Um, so was that something that you found in your research as well? It definitely is. Um, I mean, I have more recently been diagnosed officially now as autistic as well. So that's just recently happened two months ago. Um, uh, well, I went through a process and, and then they confirmed that they, they just ascertained that I was, that I was autistic too. I mean, I self, I self diagnosed myself as dyspraxic. It, it was always seen as people who were not terribly coordinated. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. But um, now, <laughs> I I've played a lot of sports, but as, as many people would probably argue, um, I wouldn't say that my catching ability was innate from the start, and I certainly had to work very hard at it. I mean, I um, also have astigmatism in my eyes, uh, which means depth perception is quite quite challenging at times, um, and it's more kind of guesswork than anything else. Um, but um, the uh, the other thing is, well, there's a few other couple of other flags that that interested me about um, dyspraxia that I, I have, wasn't aware of until I read an article by a journalist, female journalist, um, who's from the UK originally, but she writes in America for Marie Claire magazine. And she um, 
she, for example, was pointing out that a lot of people who are dyspraxic uh, don't have a preferred hand to use. So I'm I I I'm left-handed and right-handed, um, and uh, um, I you know I in I used to play cricket. I bowl left-handed, but I throw right-handed uh, with the cricket ball. Um, I can write with both hands. Uh, not that there's a lot of cause for shooting, but um, but um, but I uh, used to do like um cadets when I was at at school, and I can I was naturally a left-hander, but I can also shoot right-handed, and um, because a lot of the cadet rifles were. Oh, aimed wait, wait, wait a minute, Rick. A lot. Sorry to interrupt. A lot right. of what you're saying here. These don't sound like impairments. These sound like strengths. Yeah, yeah. I suppose they are. They are. But but although you can, if you see my handwriting, you can see that it's not necessarily a strength. But <laughs> I would put that down to self-deprecating humor, and that yeah. also people would say, oh, someone who's autistic um, doesn't necessarily have a sense of social interaction of or humor as other people. But you've just demonstrated the opposite. Well, I suppose, yeah, that's that's certainly a um, a perception that that holds um, true to stereotype, but but isn't actually accurate at all. Um, I mean, I think that um, I'm not very good with social cues, and when in in a kind of office environment, for example, we have you know what is referred to here as banter, um, and, and maybe called things uh, different things in different countries. I, I I don't do very well in that situation because I don't move quickly enough I, my brain doesn't process the information fast enough and also i probably have a bit of a problem with my filter so that sometimes if i think i'm quick enough to come out with something i might come out with something and it's not quite appropriate many people with a genetic variation say they felt somewhat different from other kids growing up was that your yeah. case did did you feel different yeah, anyway. I mean, I I was always a little bit more, I don't know, quiet at the time and and a little bit timid. Um, I mean, I I definitely felt, in some respects, I felt like I almost had a mature brain in that I accepted a lot of realities that a lot of my peers didn't. Um, they all wanted to go and do all the traditional things that boys and girls do. Um, and I found that I didn't necessarily, um, uh, a lot of things just didn't interest me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I have to say growing up was, was, was pretty challenging. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, for different reasons, I, you know, was bullied quite a lot going, growing up in, in primary school and a, a little bit in the beginning of high school uh and and you know it was it was a it was a difficult time negotiating that whole process it sounds like you had a, a good perception social perception of other people but that you were perhaps a little bit um shy and and didn't interact <laughs> maybe as much um yeah but it doesn't sound like you you didn't understand what was happening around you at all i mean i think i probably reflected a lot more than my peers did and probably because of in the moment I probably didn't do things very well so then I spent a lot of time either chastising myself or reacting to people's chastisement of me I mean I, I mean my father and I 
fought significantly growing up and and um you know there was i have two older siblings who as far as we're aware don't have any chromosome diversity um and uh, they um both did extraordinarily well in their chosen you know uh fields growing up um they you know were both kind of like top of the class incredibly good at anything they tried so it meant that there was a constant comparison taking place uh growing up because of the things that i was not very good at um and yeah i mean so i so i i guess i did a lot of reflection you were talking about some of the challenges that you had as a kid um mm. what did you enjoy most i suppose um growing up i enjoyed singing right. and uh um and I was quite good at it and, and well, I say so, I was quite good at it. And, uh, you know, I liked acting as well. Uh, I suppose when I look back on it now, I suppose acting, it was a great release because it got, gave you an opportunity to be somebody else, um, which was, which was great fun. Later on, much later on, uh, for some reason I developed this belief that I was good at sport uh, or what I believed was, was that I was fast and, uh, Actually, at the time that I believe started to believe it, I wasn't actually fast at all. But um, but uh, but I worked very hard at it and became fast. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so um, you know, it just shows you that if you apply your mind to these things, sometimes it actually happens. <laughs> the things that you're saying here sound like you you had quite a few strengths. Did you realize that you had those strengths? It's funny. It's a really interesting question, actually, because I didn't realize that until I was about 15. And I did some kind of test, which was to try and help us work out what careers we could possibly be good at. And one of the things that came through in the test was the fact that I had a very, very strong inner confidence, but that it wasn't an outward confidence that that i i believe strongly in myself even if others didn't um so that that had been the first time that i'd ever uh ever that had ever been pointed out to me i certainly hadn't been even been aware of it when i was uh when i was younger especially at the very young uh i had a real difficulty with my temper i would get first of all i would get very i would be quick to cry and then, and then I would get aggressive. Um, now, when I look back on that, those times, you know, I wasn't, I was probably still below the kind of threshold that any child would be necessarily diagnosed with autism or ADHD. There was also a lot of that kind of stuff, a whole lot of stuff that they didn't know about at the time. And, uh, you know, laterally or some years after some of that was happening you know some kids were being diagnosed as hyperactive mm -hmm. uh, i think there was I, i'm probably even if i had been diagnosed autistic much younger at much younger age i could have potentially been institutionalized um uh, because that kind of thing was still taking place in this country um because of the fact that they didn't know um, what to do with autistic children and adults um and um 
uh, and we're just kind of all lumped in together with all sorts of different people with all sorts of different needs. So, I mean, I suppose in some respects, I can, you know, uh, I'm I'm blessed that it, that it wasn't picked up, although that's obviously not the the, the positive way you need to look at things. Um, but I mean, um, uh, so I, I so I got bullied because I was someone that got upset very easily, and so I was an easy target because people knew I would get upset, and I guess that was that was an easy I was an easy mark. Oh, I know, we'll just we'll just have a go at him and he'll be in tears before we know it and we can all have a good laugh at that. Mm. Um, uh, I was always, I was young for my year when I went to school. So I was four when I went to school because I was a February birthday. And if you were born in the March, then you would wait another year um, uh, until until you started um, primary, as we call it here. Also, I was very small for my year. So uh, so I was I was young, small and, and not very good at... Um, uh, standing up for myself or or managing my temper so so all those kind of those bits kind of contributed to me being able to not really kind of handle myself and I, I guess I probably wasn't because I wasn't good at sport um, uh, you know I think sport has that ability of you know I don't know how to put it exactly it just suddenly makes you more popular naturally um, and 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 as I Although I, I mean, I remember I I joined a choir when I was eight, like external to school. Uh, so it was a, a cathedral choir, St Mary's Cathedral, Episcopalian Cathedral um, in in Edinburgh. That actually opened me up to more ridicule because of the fact that you know I sang. <laughs> so um, and and like when when I, even in the, when I was at high school, I sang a solo in my I'm in my kind of pre-puberty voice. And was uh, found myself getting um, verbally abused by lots of different kids um, from you know age twelve to eighteen because of my treble voice. And I think also, unfortunately, uh, parents didn't know any better, uh, and and you know there was just a lot of lack of awareness, which I think is a lot more present and you know that awareness is now you know being taught better in schools and parents are more aware i think it's just a general understanding that kids are all different well there's kind of two turning points i suppose that right about the age of 12 13 probably not long after i sang in front of the whole school and 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 uh, was you know teased about that mercilessly um i started to act out more i mean i had been getting into trouble and uh um you know getting detentions uh, on a saturday uh then i um you know swore a couple of teachers uh, i um uh, i had got some my my brother had brought some these kind of bangers over from uh, France, which you can light and they just bang. Uh, I don't know what you, firecrackers kind of thing. Um, and uh, I had been kind of blowing them up in school and um, I got threatened with suspension, um, you know, which was like a kind of temporary exclusion um, from the school for maybe like a week. That didn't actually happen, but I just got a lot of, a lot more detentions. And that, you know, um, was causing you know, quite a lot of ripples. Uh, I mean, and then, my mum and dad uh, gave me an opportunity to change schools and also because they felt that this might benefit me a great deal that I actually get a chance to repeat the year. Uh, so uh, I left 
uh, one school age 13 and started the other school uh, age 13, but uh, started the year that I had just done again. Uh, and that was actually uh, a really great opportunity. Uh, the, the thing is, just <laughs> slightly bizarre, but the um, they gave me an opportunity to actually go to a boarding school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know not everybody gets this chance. In fact, obviously, a majority of people don't get that chance. Uh, what was particularly good about it for me was that uh, although we lived in Edinburgh, to go to a boarding school, I was going to be going to a boarding school in Edinburgh, but it meant that I was going to be at home uh, because home life had become pretty intolerable uh, as well. And so, you know, uh, yeah, it was, uh, so actually, so I went to a boarding school in the same city that my parents lived in. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and so suddenly, um, you know, uh, I was given an opportunity to do things, to have a to have a kind of reframe, uh, to try things that I'd never had a chance to do before possibly to even slightly reinvent myself. Now I appreciate not everybody gets that. So, um, uh, you know, I was very lucky in that respect and I'll, I'll never, I'll never, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll always be grateful for that. The high school that I left, my brother ended up being, um, head boy there. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure that had I stayed, that might not have happened. Uh, so just because I was getting into trouble all the time, um, I think that, um, I mean, I'm a parent and, uh, you know, I know my son easily has the propensity or the capacity to, you know, behave, uh, misbehave. And, um, and I will be, try to be as pragmatic as I can be with him growing up, um, uh, uh, about, you know, breaking rules and, and trying to, you know, not get upset about it. I mean, I think, I know, I mean, I know that my father himself, uh, got into trouble quite a bit growing up. It's a convenient truth that uh, I have a chromodiversity and therefore um, that you can pin my uh, learning differences or neurodevelopmental differences on um, my X, Y, Y. But, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the autism, for example, has only come from there. It could have come from somewhere else. It could have come from my father, uh, uh, you know, and statistically, yeah. that's a, a much greater uh, has a much greater chance of that. Um, yes, but uh, but but I mean, he's he's you know in his early eighties, and there's absolutely no chance uh, that he'll ever try and find that out. The, I think I say I think parents are much better informed now, and um, and even when they're not, they still have the the opportunity to be. You know. <laughs> What would you say um, if you could speak to yourself in imagination as a child? What what would today, from your standpoint, what would you say to yourself as a child? One film that that always stuck with me um, that I saw a, a number of I've seen it probably fifty times at least in my twenties and thirties is um, is Goodwill Hunting, and um, the uh, you know uh, Matt Damon is playing the 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 kind of math, mathematical genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point in my life, I was getting a lot of hassle at home. I was getting bullied at, by my peers and I was even getting bullied by my my uh, my teacher um, and uh, at school, uh, physically bullied by him as well. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, uh, well, pardon my mm. friend, shitstorm. And, and um, uh, anyway, in Goodwill Hunting at the end, when, 
Robert Williams is is um is you know kind of finishing the the counseling sessions. He 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 explains. He keeps saying, "It's not your fault," and that always speaks to me uh, because uh, for a long time I believed that everything was my fault. You know, and it and it <clears throat> it crushed me. Uh, but as you say also helped me build resilience, you know, because I refused to be crushed. Thank you for listening to the first part of this exclusive conversation with Rick Clark about his lived experience growing up with chromodiversity. As you just heard, Rick discovered he had a 47th Y chromosome at the age of 39, which in hindsight shed new light both on some of the challenges he faced and strengths he developed as a child. Tune in to next week's episode six to hear the second part of our conversation. Rick will talk about his teen years, adopting his own child as an adult, and share key insights for other parents and individuals faced with chromodiversity. The episode ends with a special treat as Rick answers a surprise, unexpectedly revealing quiz. <laughs>